All right, beautiful humans, welcome back to another episode of Naked Sunday. I am your host, Caleb Nelson, and I have the lovely Beth Esty, Bestie. We're going to be new besties by the end of this. That's right. I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming to the show. Well, thanks for asking. It It was my pleasure. You're just, you have this lovely demeanor about you. And to that effect, I like to start all my episodes with why I appreciate my guest because uh, I, I hope this starts as a trend, actually. I hope more people start telling each other why they love each other, why they care about each other, why they matter, like what impresses and, and like impacts us about that other person. I, I hope that happens. But there's a couple things in our first little initial conversation that one thing that I found a lot of courage for you from you that, that I really find admirable is the pivot, the pivot you made in your life from owning one type of business to this other change and having made some pivots in my life and on thinking about some of the identity stuff that I have worked through and the changes that came with that and some of the baggage I had to let go of just knowing from how hard it was for me I can only imagine I I like to empathize with other people but I just I've seen so many people take on that challenge and I know that there's so much courage in there to do that and, and how open you are about certain things when we talked about some of the things like depression and things like that, you're so open about it. I just find there's so much courage in that in a day and age where a lot of people are not, they're not willing to, to take a risk and really go after the things they love. They're so afraid of the judgment that might happen or afraid to be open about the things maybe they struggle with or the things that they grapple with. I, for one, I, I'm, I'm starved. I starve for authenticity. I love it. I crave it. I should say craving is a better word. And uh, that really, that really comes through with you in those two forms. So I just want to let you know that that's really important to me. And and thank you for being that. Oh, thank you. It it took work. I'm not going to lie. Being me has not always been something I was ready to share with people. I often tried to conform to what people thought I was supposed to be, but I think in my forties, I've I've learned how to let that go, but it was intentional and something that some, somebody, I'm not even sure who said it to me first, but somebody told me somewhere along the way, it's none of your business, what other people think about you. And at first I was like, you know, I got kind of bristly, like, yes, it is. Like, isn't the whole point of trying to portray something so that you can make an impression on other people, but it, it turns out it's, it's true. It's not my business of me, unless they choose to share it with me, like you just did. And sometimes people share not welcome feedback and that's their prerogative too, because I can choose whether I internalize that, or I can choose whether I just know that it's actually a reflection of how they're feeling about themselves. But that took, that took time to figure that out too. Um, yeah, I, I just know now that I have shared more about myself that it impacts people in ways that I never knew that it would. And so even if it's embarrassing, or even if it's a little tricky or um, uncomfortable, that it doesn't matter. It's just a moment, but that moment could touch somebody else really deeply. And that's more important. That's so beautiful. 
I there's a couple things in there that I there's that like the end the choosing to internalize the way somebody says something I don't know why I brought this to mind this I this notion of where do I end and you begin and vice versa are we having projections or like it's this whole weird transference counter transference we, we we live in this really interesting melange of life and energy and all those things so when you brought that up a lot of those kind of intrinsic thoughts came to mind for me and the work you talk about i think that that's what's so powerful it's effort it's effort to truly be ourselves and to that effect that leads me to my first question especially considering you know yourself better than i know you my first question is beth who are you <laughs> I don't know if I've had anyone just come right out and ask me that before. Um, so let me think. Well, the, the immediate answers are, you know, sort of the obvious surface ones. Like I'm a wife. Uh, my husband and I just, you, like one week ago, celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary and we've been together for 20 years. And I'm a mom. I have a daughter who is 17 and starting to look at colleges and thinking about leaving me. <laughs> oh, okay. No crying this early on. Oh, and you know, I love tears, right? You know this. I, I, have, tish I have tissues ready. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I, I don't know if you saw my video the other day, but my strange addiction is tears. As, if I can elaborate that a minute, but oh yeah, you're well, it's, girlfriend. <laughs> Let the tears flow, let the feelings fly. That's what it's all about here, girl. <laughs> I have a son who will be 12 soon. Um, so that's family life for me. Um, I was a brick and mortar business owner and, and, a, and a boss to many. And, but what I am is a really empathic and empathetic person, which is awesome in so many ways. And it's also damaging because I didn't always have great boundaries and I didn't know how to not take on other people's stuff, whether it was swooping in to fix a problem or literally taking on people's energy. Um, I'm, I'm learning more and more as I go how to create a, a physical boundary of energy and a boundary of like, how much am I willing to do before it's just not my problem? Because people have to know their consequences and I can't just fix everything. So I would say that empathy and being empathic are two big, big parts of who I am. Um, let's see, I have a lot, a lot of love and I love things that are symmetrical or even, I think that's probably because I'm a Libra and I just love when things are, are right in the world and, um, the Harmony. symmetry, why do my eyebrows not know that I love symmetry? They need to be on. <sighs> and even they're not though it's so annoying <laughs> oh my god this has started off so phenomenally i'm so happy right now <laughs> my abs are actually cramping a little bit oh my god my sides <laughs> <laughs> oh 
yeah I love just love I and and on the other side of that like I hate hypocrisy and I think part I have to shield myself from a lot of what's going on in the world because I could just go down that rabbit hole and never come back out because the hypocrisy is just mind-blowing and awful we don't even need to go there plenty of people talk about all that we just don't even need to we don't need to but I think the uh (laughs) the the fated you know we're recording this now whenever it posts in the timeline I have I don't even know how far removed we'll be from the event, but um, the perhaps destined shut like shut down of Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp the other day was yeah. uh, was a maybe a helpful little like, huh? Maybe I could just disconnect for a bit and things would be all right. But yeah, yeah, I love and I need it. to I need to come up with alternative ways of connecting because. Those are, you know, those are the, the top social media platforms. And when they're not there, somebody who does, like, I have a ton of friends who do social selling and poof, their businesses would just be gone. Mm. Facebook pulled the plug, Instagram pulled the plug, all of that. Mm. So it, it was kind of a big wake up, like. We don't have control over any of that. I always talk about that with people when they get so reliant on one thing and they go get so caught up in the tactics as opposed to understanding the concepts around stuff. At the end of the day, marketing, sales, even fulfillment, people forget like the fundamental nature of that is relationships. It's all it comes down to. Yeah. And if we can focus on the core concept of how do you build relationships that are healthy, meaningful, and perhaps the most important, sustainable, yeah, which is good business. Uh, if we could focus on that, you know, we got to remember people made tons of money before the internet. Absolutely. Or there was TV before stuff like that money exchanged hands and, uh, I think those types of events where we're like, we deal with a fast from certain things reminds us, Hey, perhaps there's another way. So there was a couple things I wanted to touch on what you just said. And first and foremost, I loved, I really appreciated how you handled that question. And by the by, I find that I'm one of the few people that ever has asked anybody, who am I, who are you, that kind of thing. Um, And I'll share where that, that initial impetus because I really have like two or three questions on my mind that I ever really like I want to kind of ask you this whole thing okay when you addressed the oh the obvious the superficial and just hit the nail on the head because most people in the beginning the knee jerk is like well what are the titles that I hold yeah like exactly wife mom business owner like ceo whatever those things mean but those all come with very, like, I could even ask the question, like, what does it mean to be a mom? Is it just like I bore a child or I adopted a child or what is the responsibilities of that? Or what does society think that it's supposed to be? Like, the, def- the actual definition of how you look at that role is so individualized. So what I really appreciate is that after you, you brought, we'll call it the simple, like, 
oh, I can understand where she is in the world. Like here's some of the identifiers she has. But now you said, but by the way, this is really the substance underneath it. I have a lot of, I, I'm very empathic. I feel deeply. I see both sides. I like balance. No, shocking that hypocrisy bothers you. Shocking because it's not balanced. It's, it's an uneven equation. I really appreciated how you dissected that because the, where this comes from, the first time I was ever asked that question, I've shared this a few times on the show. It was, I think it was fifth or sixth, sorry, maybe sixth or seventh grade. And I believe it was my English teacher, Mr. Bagnolo. I remember he just like leans up against the desk, kind of sits back and he just goes, who are you? And I mean, this is what, 20 years removed from right now. This still persists in my head every single day. What a, like a, you know, an idea to just drop in the center of your consciousness and say, let's go play with that. And, you know, you hear a couple people like address just like the surface level thing. And he's like, nope, that's not who you are. Nope. And I, I remember that interaction. I, I find it to be such a profound thing, especially I'm talking to a few people right now that are in like either quarter life or even perhaps early midlife crises. Whereas who am I? What the hell am I doing here? And, uh, you know, again, I've acknowledged like with the business owner's path that, that you've embraced and the pivot in the entrepreneurial world that you have, I find that when those who embrace that, that pursuit don't get so caught up in the surface level identity when they actually yeah. come to terms with it, because I think we all still grapple with it. I know I certainly do. We can let go of the external and then look inward at that question. Who are you? Who am I? How do I live? Who, how do the people that I love and perceive, what do I deliver upon? What am I to that? I thought that was a really, a really beautiful just way of coming about it. So that- Yeah, I think uh, that I, I used to chase um, recognition. Not, I mean, I don't mean, I don't mean like I needed awards or anything, but, but recognition like that I was a good person or that I did good things um, to make, to fill my cup. Like I wanted that feedback. And then when I stopped trying to do that and just started to really dig deeper into who, who I am or what I'm made up of, or, um, <clears throat> I kind of let those things start percolating more. I actually attracted way more people that were right to be in my life than I did when I was out there trying to grab all the things. So that, that was really interesting concept or uh, acknowledgement to how I was doing things versus how I'm doing things now. It, what I hear in that is there's this ironic turn of events where when you stop pursuing the recognition, you actually start getting the recognition that you wanted all along. What a strange thing. Like I let go of that yeah. and it starts to happen. What a wild concept. I'd be curious and I'd appreciate now if you just take us on the journey, like where did this start and how do you get to, and especially you said, when I changed that, when I started to let go of that, 
I'd love to hear what that turning point was like. What was the impetus for that type of change? Because I find so many people, it's, it's almost always defined as like my rock bottom moment or there's this inflection, big inflection point in my life. I'd love to hear like where, where that came along that journey and then how it's changed things for you. So yeah, take Well, it, it's take funny it. that you mentioned the, the word midlife crises. Mm. You know? um, I've explored that concept and I am at that age. I will actually be 49 on Sunday. So I'm right there. And over the last 18 months, I would say the two years leading up to the change was the actual crisis. Hmm. Like I was in crisis. And then when I made some decisions and made changes was, was what happened after. So when I look, when I think about midlife crisis or a lot of people do, you think, Oh, he just divorced his wife year old girlfriend and drives a sports car now like he must be having a midlife crisis and haha it's kind of funny right until you're in it until you realize no I was actually living in crisis and now what I'm doing and the choices that I'm making are how I'm reconciling what was wrong to make me right And so that can look different for everybody. My crisis was being stuck in a business where that I didn't feel passionate about anymore, that I used food and alcohol to deal with my emotions and had to shove them so deep down and put a smile on my face and show up for work and be a happy person. And I owned a spa. I mean, I can't go in there being grumpy. I am touching people physically. You share energy with people like that's just, that's not who I could be. I had to force myself to be happy. I had to, um, if somebody called out sick, I thought it was my responsibility to go in and work, even if it was supposed to be my very rare day off, because The client comes first, right? In business, you're taught always the customer, the client comes first. I can honestly look back and say not one of those times or all of those times combined when I sacrificed time with my family or my health, did it ever make a difference in the, in the big picture? It did not earn me more money. It did not make me more popular. It did not make a bit of difference in the end. And so the crisis came when I realized that that was how it was. And then it took, uh, took a couple of years to get out from the business. I had three potential buyers who all backed out at the 11th hour. So I had to grieve that over and over and over again. Just when I thought I had one foot out the door, I was pulled right back in again and at square one, and I, I honestly was like, I'm just going to have to shut the doors. This is a popular business. It's profitable. It's like very busy and it's such a shame to shut it down, but I'm going to have to because this just can't go on. And then, then I did get a buyer and that's a whole big shit show right there. <laughs> but God, I love to your answer company. your question, <laughs> what was your question again? Well, the journey was like, okay, what was the moment? What was that inflection point? What was the, we'll call it the rock bottom. 
that said. Yeah. So the, the moment was honestly um, the first day that I was home and didn't have to go to work, which I thought was going to be euphoria and was absolutely devastating. I didn't know what my purpose was anymore. I thought I was just going to feel free and amazing. And, um, and I didn't, I was scared and confused and I didn't, I didn't know my place. So I tried on a few different coats, so to speak, or hats, however you want to put it. And, and they didn't feel right, but at this, but but as the basis of that, I, I thankfully had enough money to not have to go out and get a job for about a year. And COVID had just hit, so getting a job wasn't really in the cards anyway. Um, I set up a morning routine that had a certain set of things that I just couldn't compromise on. And they included personal development and gratefulness and things like that, because I just needed to have something that was really solid. And through that is how I figured out what my next path was going to be. So I went from thinking you can't, you can't jump from one thing without knowing what the next thing is, because you know what you, you know, I think we've all been taught that don't quit a job until you have another one lined up right? You have to know what's next before you say goodbye. Well, okay, but that's not always the case. And it wasn't the case. And I think that's why it was so scary. Um, so I think it, it wasn't really being at work that I was rock bottom, even though things were not great. I think being, discovering that I was a disaster instead of feeling free was my rock bottom. I really appreciate you sharing that. I, the thought that came to mind on that for me was, um, it's oftentimes I'll ask people, so do you meditate? And I, I couldn't sit still like that for a, two minutes. There's so many people that just can't be alone and still with themselves. And what I heard in that moment was like, well, I'm here now. I don't have the distractions anymore. All that stuff's gone. I'm left exactly. with exactly, Yeah. And then the dark shit comes up. Whoa. Oh yeah. Does it ever. Yeah. Like, what am I? Who am I? What is my, and I heard the boards. What's my purpose? What am I showing up for? What am I working towards? And, and so many uh, entrepreneurs put so much of their identity into their work, myself included in terms of some of my pivots. I really appreciate you saying that. And I think Fundamentally, I think one of the reasons why people don't sit still is they're afraid of the fact that perhaps their subconscious knows if I sit there, much like as if I just looked in the mirror and I looked at the thing that I'm afraid of, I can't unsee it. I'll know it in my heart and I'll know then I have to make a change. I'm going to know yeah. I'm going to have to go do that hard, scary stuff. That was a really powerful thing that stuck out for me. And I think that's a worthwhile reflection for anybody listening. Second thing that really stuck out for me, stuck out for me, make sure I said, I always like to make sure my grammar's okay. Um, the other thing that stood out for me <laughs> was the customer is always right. And 
while I agree fundamentally with the statement, especially if we think about a customer centric business, which ultimately great service is that to give of to give in the service of others, what you brought into the equation there was the self care first asking yourself who's the primary customer and you brought up was I present for my family every time I, I let go of that well ultimately what I in our conversations what I and you brought up first well the first thing I am is I'm a mother I'm a wife like those are the things when I'm like oh where do you connect to where is the purpose and a really amazing conversation with my friend last night who had gave me this really beautiful realization about things that I care about in my life and one of the moments he's like, I just want to be a good dad. And I said, like, dude, that's your purpose. Whoa. Like, and I didn't understand it back when he had told me, but anyway, I'm digressing. I think we get lost and especially business owners. We think that the job and the customers, the, the thing that generates the money to solve the surface level things, to buy the house, to pay the bills, to go on vacation, to feed the feed everybody. That's the customer or is the customer that kid at home who just wants your love? Yeah. Who just wants you there. And that's been one of the primary conversations I've been bringing up lately. And I don't know how much you've seen it not only with yourself, but other, perhaps other business owners you talk with. So many people put their relationship to their significant other, to their family second in the order of order of operations. Mm-hmm. And in my own experiences, so again, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate you sharing that. In my own experiences, when things are rocky at home with my wife, business suffers every single time, every single time. When I catch myself and I go, Caleb, what the fuck are you doing? This is the woman that you love and you want to create the life with. Attention and priority of time and energy goes there first, even though it might just be as simple as like we're going on date night or I cuddle her for 15 minutes or I tell her I love her or whatever, or write her a fucking note on her cup of, I love you. The second I do that, I pivot that direction, money comes. And what I've fundamentally started to look at is like, once you understand who the end customer is, you work backwards from that. My wife and my, hopefully at some point in my life, my children are the end customer. What does that necessitate? It necessitates I take care of me so I show up best for them. Okay, I need to put that priority. And if I do that, I'll set systems in place that I can deliver better at work, which means I'm thinking long-term about the sustainable relationship. Everybody in between, and the people that are paying the money to facilitate all this fall into place and get actual better service. Like you said, you would just jump in Oh, I had to go like, just cover everybody's thing. I didn't take a day off because everybody needed it. But not realizing like that meant that nobody was getting a hundred percent of the best, best version of the bestie. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if I were to have written out and I did often, what is my list of priorities? My, my marriage and my kids were always first in my heart, but it didn't always show up that way in my actions because I, I struggled to figure out how to make that all, that all work to make everybody happy. And that was one of my problems. And I wasn't, I was the one who, who came in last always in, in trying to make everyone else happy. Was and it, 
was it like feelings of guilt or was it shame? oh guilt i mean of course mom guilt is a real thing mm-hmm. um just to, to say you can't go to a game or um the open house night at school or whatever because you have to work and to see the kids just deflate but then try to say it's okay mom I understand you know they're trying to be grown up but they are they're just a little heartbroken and the and it's horrible to feel that and you can't avoid it once in a while but when it's the norm that mom can't be there it's heartbreaking and then It is shameful too, because you are actually having people, or I was actually having people tell me, oh man, you are just Wonder Woman. Like, how do you do it all? You just have it all together. You have this successful business and you're, you're beautiful and your um, kids are so well-behaved and you can tell your husband loves you because X, Y, and Z, and like, you just have it all. And you're hearing this and thinking, that doesn't match anything that I feel on the inside. How does it look like that? Because it looks like a freaking bomb went off inside my head, but to the outside world, it looks spot on. Sounds exhausting. Oh, so exhausting. I never slept because I oh, my mind would never shut down. And whether it was you, you've got to do this better or you've got to do that better. Or it was really, I beat myself up constantly. It was never enough and, and always too much. I don't know if that makes sense, but. It's that hypocrisy you, and the harmony. I'm happy thing. because there was no balance. <laughs> no wonder you're so passionate about balance now, right? <laughs> I think. I really appreciate you bringing the mom guilt to the forefront. Not for nothing. I've worked with a lot of women. I've worked with a lot of moms back when I owned the gym and now too. And it's, I have yet to talk to a mom that doesn't feel like a failure. That doesn't feel like they're just fucking up royally left and right. No matter what they do, they're trying like left and right. And not for nothing. Dads feel the same way too, but I just know that men struggle to talk about it a little more. Yeah, So they just is the flip side. And I really appreciate it when anybody just brings out like, Hey, you know, I'm, this is what's going on. And my hope is that even us just ha- you and I having this conversation right now that it, it's somebody who might be just like, what the fuck am I doing in my life? And pardon my French, but that's my podcast. So I swear, um, <laughs> is that like, wow, this, this is an all too common thing. This is this is, I see this pattern everywhere. And especially right now, because to quote unquote, be an entrepreneur, to slap that label on yourself, which I don't think a lot of people understand what that means. It's the sexy vanity play. Yeah. I own a business. Right. I'm the man. I'm the woman. I am, I am strong in this and that. And I run shit. Great the responsibility that comes with that is a mountain. Now on the flip side of that challenge, that burden, and we discussed this a little bit in our first meeting, I find it to be such a really, because of the layers of that burden and all the things you've already discussed so far, how it affects your home life, 
your responsibilities as a, as a spouse, as a parent, as a, as a business owner, a leader of your staff, a leader of your clients, a leader of your community, a leader of your own health and well-being, those layers internally and externally, you are the burden of that makes entrepreneurship, the, the concept of it one of the most powerful exercises and platforms for personal development because it exposes all your insecurities. You don't have a choice but to confront them if you wish to continue to move forward. Mm -hmm. I think it's such a beautiful thing. But again, I, I hope this starts to bring to light what, what it really means to be in this space. And I, 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 entrepreneur, to be a, an entrepreneur is really, there's more the entrepreneurial mindset. You can own your life working for a business, not being the owner. You can take ownership. Yeah. So I think that that's an important thing as we look to perhaps detach ourselves from the label, the vanity play, the external validation that we're talking about here to be like, I run things. It's all mine. I own it though. Like <laughs> what, no. do, what do mostly you you're owned by it. Now I'm not anymore, but I was then. And I'm sure there were a bazillion different things at play that made it that way that don't make it now. I couldn't recreate it. I couldn't recreate what I went through then because I am not her anymore. But I, I definitely have more balance and I definitely have um, being being a health coach entrepreneur now is many, I, I get many of the rewards that I had hoped for being the owner of the spa that I didn't receive. And I, I had that, like, if you just work harder, if you just work more, it'll come, it'll come. It's right around the corner. And right around the corner was just another pothole. So that just didn't, that didn't work. And now <laughs> I, I am able to be at home, which I didn't, I didn't know that I wanted that. I knew I wanted more time to focus on my family and be there for my kids who have benefited immensely from more mom. Um, so it makes me really happy that especially through COVID, I could be there for them. Um, but as a side note, I've always joked with them <laughs> that instead of a college fund, <laughs> my husband and I have a savings account for them that's called... <laughs> Braces and therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been so honest with them since they were little, like mom and dad are going to fuck you up and you're going to need therapy. And we're sorry. Like we know it happens with every parent fucks up every kid somehow, and you're going to need to work through it. And it's okay if you blame us and here's the money to go and work it out. <laughs> and they think it's funny and they think it's a joke, but I mean, eventually they'll know. They'll be like, oh, wow, when my mom was a workaholic, this is what made me feel. <laughs> wow. I really, I'd like to lean into that a little more. Um, I had this conversation last night um, and I've had it a few times. One, admitting to that first and foremost and being aware like that's gonna happen especially i think once we become so self-aware of well where'd my stuff come from well it's come from our relationship with our parents it always is because we're modeling stuff 
but I, what other thing I heard in that was also like a, a humility and a, an appreciation and a gratitude. There's the only way to really kind of get to that place where you even plan for that is to look at the past of where it came from and say, huh, they were human too. They went yeah. through their own thing. How do I learn from what they gave me as a left lesson, my own path? How do I just move the needle a little more and, you know, my children can then move the needle a little further for theirs. And yeah, that's exactly. such a, it's such a long-term perspective in there that, you know, I really like the way it was said there. And what I always say now for myself is that, and I talk to my wife a lot about it, about, you know, I'm, I'm pretty aware of my own stuff that's been passed down through the generations and blame or anything. I stopped blaming it. I just started to realize like it was okay. Yeah but to let it go again would then I'd be, um, I'd be complicit. I'd be part of the problem in, yeah. in the passing down that thing. So understanding, you know what, no matter what I do, my kids are going to have some shit go down that that's their journey. And part of what will also allow them to rise to realize their fullest potential, my greatest pains on other podcasts that I'm sure you'll listen to at one point, it's just like turn your pain into power or pain into purpose, pardon. A lot of P's there, a lot of consonation. Um, It's allowing that to happen. But if we can stop our stuff and stop the years of stuff before it gets passed to the next thing, at least they just have their thing to deal with. Yeah. My thing either. And that's what I heard in that, which I thought genius. Because again, like yeah, the people in the entrepreneurial space tend to like think, look at what the investment of what college is nowadays. Like, are you really getting your return on investment? I didn't no. learn a damn thing about running a business in college. <laughs> not a thing. Me not either. a thing. Did not prep me for any of that. <laughs> Were there some social relationships that are very strong and I love them and it set me down some interesting paths? Sure. But in terms of explicitly preparing me for the world of what does it mean to run a business, to lead, to become part of this whole thing? Mm. And yeah, Not, I, won't, I, won't, I won't go down the path of like student loan debt and you can't even declare bankruptcy to get out of it and all that whole, like you're just saddled with stuff and yeah. you're, you're trying to make a massive decision like that at 18 when you don't. Oh, I know. Oh, We're going oh. through that in our house right now. And it's, it's, a, it's a big cloud. It's so much pressure because I, still are coaching the kids in high school that college is the next step. And I don't think that it needs to be for every kid. It makes sense for plenty of kids and I'm not putting it down. I mean, that's the path I went, but that was a long time ago. Uh, I graduated college in 1996. So, you know, in the nineties, you still automatically went to college that's how it was. But now there are just so many different paths. And yet the thinking is still are kind of antiquated. And I, I think my daughter has, feels a lot of pressure to go with the crowd and do what everyone else is doing. And I'm trying to stay on my side of the street because it is not my life. It is hers. And I got to make my choices and she will be able to make hers. 
but it does make me feel bad that the pressure seems to be there. And, and there isn't that invitation to look at a broader view of options. I'm, I'm so on board with how you're describing this. And I would perhaps even go one step further. It's like, it needs to become sexy to go figure yourself out first. And maybe yeah. we need to look at how do you present those options in a way that's meaningful beforehand, learning the soft skills of life? How do you, how do you balance? A I don't, I, hell, I still don't know how to balance a checkbook. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, I'm like, <laughs> but what I, what I do know is I know how to find people who are good at doing that stuff. <laughs> that was my entrepreneurial journey and like discovering myself. <laughs> Got to know, of course, you know, I'm put, putting myself down a little bit in jest, but like, I also have to know enough to be dangerous. Like you can't be completely blind to stuff because you also, yeah. who's trying to screw me over. Like, right. Like, yeah. I've learned how to build some great relationships predicated on fundamental values. I, my hope in all of this is that somehow we can find a way and I don't know the answer to it. Somehow we can find a way that that becomes the first understanding that we look to parlay into our, our, our next generation of how do you understand yourself? And I look at a lot, I've talked with one of my great friends about this, about like, where are our, you know, as much as people want to bash certain traditions and like bury the past and like, forget about it. like, we're, it's like the throw the baby out with a bathwater thing. There's no sense of a rite of passage. I know, especially for men women it doesn't seem that way like, what's the rite of passage to like well you know some people just have their ceremony when i and or i got my car like, 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 but that's not about you know to me like that, great i can drive that doesn't make me a man what does it mean to be productive what does it mean to be in a healthy relationship what does it mean to be present what does it mean to be a man of values what does it mean to be a leader what does it mean to show up for my family those are the questions I ask myself now in the place that I'm looking with my life. Why, why are we not asking that, those questions? And I know they're hard questions and they're not off, like right now, they're certainly not sexy because it's like in our culture, it's all about like the new bright, shiny, young thing. We, yeah. we dismiss wisdom. We don't revere our elders in a sense. And perhaps it's because of a lot of stuff and talking about generational trauma and all that stuff. And yeah, I get that, but there is something about a perhaps a process of connecting and perhaps understanding, maybe not fully buying into all of it, but understanding where did I come from? How did I get here? What's the vein of stuff where like the messes, the story they're trying to convey to me that they're using a sense of storytelling or whatever it is. And then I guess maybe I'm now curious, like, in your household, was that something or what was the process? Cause I'm always looking for tools myself. Like shit, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I'm just trying to figure it out. And they've talked to a bunch of people who seem like I respect them. They're like, what'd you figure out? Like, how'd you, what's the, what's your life <laughs> hack? What's your parent hack? And I, like, why, why can't I learn this now? So that, you know, I'm going to still screw it up, but at least I got a chance to like play around with my head a little bit. Like, well, that sounds a lot like more like how I would just frame it. But how did, you, how did you kind of approach that kind of, that kind of thing? Because you've mentioned you have this really beautiful relationship with your daughter. Yeah, I, 
It's funny. I was thinking this morning, and this is a story we talk about a lot in our family because it gets some giggles. But when my daughter was born, they handed her to me and it was like, I don't know, the, the sun came out and the angels sang and it was that moment that you, I think as a parent, any parent, but I know for me, I always wanted kids and that's how I, I expected it to feel. And it did with my daughter and we were just very close. And she was my only child for five years. It took a little while to get my husband on board to have a second child. And then when my son came along, um, well, sadly we, we miscarried in between and then um, when he came along, it's funny, I don't know if you believe in this or not, but I sure as heck do. So one of the things that I can do with, with my empathy and one of my, I guess my superpowers is I can douse. So I, I so for me, I hold, um, usually I hold a pendant on a chain mm-hmm. and I can ask a question and get a yes or no answer. I can also do it um, over people's left hands to find out the order and number of children that will come into their lives. So for me, dowsing myself for my children, it was always a girl and a boy, and that was it. So there was never a spirit that was in the middle that we didn't know about. And I actually had a friend of mine who um, is, she's a psychic, told me, like he came back to you a second time. It was this, it's the same, the same boy came back to you a second time. That's why you never had more than the boy and the girl dowsing. Mm. And so I believe that he was meant for us and he came back a second time. And, and for whatever reason, the body that he was given the first time just wasn't right. Wasn't meant for him. So he was a very difficult pregnancy. I was sick, sick, sick. I lost weight. I was just miserable. It was horrible. And my grandmother promised me that it was going to be the opposite when he came into the world. Like if it's a horrible pregnancy, it means they're going to be the sweetest baby. Um, I held on to that. When he came into the world, he wanted nothing to do with me. He followed my daughter's voice around with his eyes. He had hearts in his eyes only for her. And if I tried to snuggle him on my shoulder, he would physically like push away from me. And I was heartbroken. And I, I had waited five years. I wanted to snuggle this baby. I wanted to have that same bond that I had with my daughter and we did not, it did not happen. And I waited and I waited and I waited. And it was on our annual summer vacation to Maine when he was three and a half. I can remember the day, the minute, the instant that we fell in love. Finally, three and a half years. He was jumping into the pool and we were playing and I turned my head. I had told him just a second and I turned my head to talk to my daughter and he jumped anyway and his teeth went right into the top of my head and we were both a mess. And for whatever reason, that like cracked the love universe open for us. And we were, everything was right in the world after that day. But it was a, 
it was difficult to have one child where we were like soulmates from the get-go to having a kid who was like, mom is good for feeding me. And that's like about it. I could, I can, I could take her or leave her. <laughs> and, and we're very close now, but, and he thinks it's hilarious when we talk about it. Cause we try to make it seem like it wasn't horrible for me. I try to gloss over it cause it's not his fault. It just was, but, um, he thinks, he thinks it's pretty funny that he loved his sister the best. And, um, but it's been easy for me to talk to my kids and, um, just share things with them that weren't shared with me, not because either one of my parents was mean or bad parent, but they didn't have the skills and did the very best that they could. And I think I just up-leveled it from there because they surely taught me plenty of great things and did, did well by me um, and fucked me up, right? <laughs> 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 we can't leave that part out. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to take it one step further. And so I worked diligently at that, even when I wasn't around as much, because the time that I was with them was super intentional and nothing was ever off limits. I never made one topic off limits for either of the kids and I never have. So my husband doesn't seem to believe me that my daughter tells me everything. He's like, yeah, right. What teenage girl does. And I know that's the story for 99% of a teenage girls out there, my kid just tells me everything and she wants my feedback and she still sometimes maybe needs it too much. So I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to help her like, yeah, you can decide what to wear. You don't need my input every morning. You can fix what you want for lunch. You don't have to ask me what you want for lunch. <laughs> so maybe some of the things were a little too connected and I want her to be her own make her own choices, even if that means that it, it was the wrong choice. And there's a consequence about that, um, to a point. Um, but I think it was just su being super intentional about how I wanted the relationships to be. And then, but at the same time, accepting where they were at the time that they were that way, because I couldn't force my son to, I, I know he loved me. I'm not going to say we, we loved each other. There was just not that in love feeling. And, um, that was nobody's fault. And even though I wanted it to be that way, you can't force that. I just had to be patient and just keep parenting him the best way that I could. Even though he was very difficult, he never wanted to sleep because he had fear of missing out. Um, he threw tantrums everywhere and anywhere. And uh, he's a changed kid now that I've been home. I think he just required a lot more attention and time than I, I had for him in his younger years. And so, of course, I feel guilt about that. And I've apologized to both of my kids multiple times for, th for things like I, I yelled at them more times than I wish I had 
when I was impatient and trying to get out the door and I was late to work and they were throwing a fit or, you know, all those things that happen to every parent, but that stand out as like, Oh God, I wish I would have handled that differently. And, and apologizing to them, I think was good for both of us because of course they're kids and they love you and they want to forgive you. And they don't usually carry a grudge unless things like that are, are swept under the rug. And if we pretend they didn't happen, that's like pretending that there isn't a truth that, that there is in their life. And, you know, I just, I, I want, I seek truth. There's some few things I want to unpack in there that I really appreciated. Number one, the transparency you just spoke of. I, I mean, especially, yeah, you're in the health coaching space, which is essentially you're a conduit for change, a conduit for growth. You fundamentally cannot help start the process of change if you don't become aware of the problem. You have to, you have to air it out. You have to air your grievances. You have to own up, to look in the mirror, to be there. And your intentionality about endeavoring to be transparent, to talk about perhaps things that might maybe feel taboo or scary or terrify you. And maybe, I don't know if I have the capacity to, I don't Maybe what if I don't have the answer to that? And they have the question and I don't know. The intentionality around that and what I heard on top of that, especially this is something I've been thinking about, Love is not just a thing. It's grown via a habit. There's a Simon Sinek thing. I don't know if you know who he is. The guy who wrote Start With Why. He did a Mm -hmm. on some video. I can't remember what it is, but my wife always brings it up because I share it with her once and she always brings it back. And he's like, when the question he poses is like, well, when did you fall in love with your your significant other? The question's always like, you don't know. It was a series of bunch of habits. And then one day it's go, I love you. Yeah. But it was the constant. That's what I heard within it. It's like, and especially we're in this world, and I'm not going to go political with it, but in a world of cancel culture and, you know, fear of talking to each other and just having an, a conversation and hearing the other side. What I hear, you know, a lot of people want to, with the, the notion of cancel culture, I hear like you want to bury darkness, sweep it under the rug meet hate with essentially hate that does not equal balance that does not create peace you can only meet it with love and to love is to just hold the space and to accept and then work together towards the solution that's what i heard in 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 the subcontext of all of that that was the vein that was coming to mind for me i thought that was really beautiful when you spoke of he kept rejecting me did he no he still loved you of course fundamentally like there's just there's purity but maybe it wasn't the love language that was given right and we all have to sort out our own like how do we feel love the best though a baby like a baby doesn't isn't conscious enough to know how you need to feel love from them but yeah but what i heard is like oh the day boom that was like the moment like huh I love you. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I love you. You know, like it's just a moment, but it was, I heard the consistent persistence of I'm still going to love you in the face of rejection or hate or whatever it is. Cause I still fundamentally understand you are human. You have flaws. You are not perfect, but you are beautiful anyway. I love you anyway. I find that to be such a profound thing. And which leads me to the, another thing you really brought up is in that this acceptance of not knowing. I brought that up. So that you, you know, your question, I don't know what you believe. And the way you approached that was really beautiful to me because what I've come to find, especially recently, there's a lot of people on a spiritual journey. And, and in this culture, I, I'm going to go out on a limb right now and say, because we have worked so hard to disconnect from spirituality that is not religion and i think it's gotten mixed up yeah i do think it's gotten mixed up rightfully so i've watched some of like what we've seen what certain religious structures can and the rigidity of those things and the the consequences and the pressures of all those things and everybody has grown up grown up in some type of that rigid structure i believe I guess aside from the few that have had an approach similar to yours, where it's, let's talk about it. What do you think to ask instead of to tell, I think is such a profound sign of confidence, though it's terrifying confidence and like deep love to not know. And what I've really come to appreciate, especially as I've gone on and started to become more comfortable opening up and talking about my own spiritual journey I like to go see the lens of how somebody is looking to interpret the thing that is bigger than themselves to, to pursue their calling, whether it's, uh, I guess, what do you call it? Dousing, dousing was the word, or if it's like a shamanic ritual, or if it's prayer, or if it's meditation, or if it's just walking in nature, or if it's however you're gonna define the, the thing, but it's the pursuit of something bigger than oneself and we're in such a world where we want it to be so concrete. We want it to be so hard. So like tangible, which is a very masculine, like hard, rigid energy. There has to be an acceptance as well. It's too rigid. It needs to be a little flexible. And I always talk about this concept of rigid flexibility, which I, I uh, credit one of my clients back at the gym with that. So Sarah, if you're listening, thank you for that one. This rigid flexibility, like yes, a framework and some habits and some boundaries so you can train amidst it and we can pass on the story the lessons but flexible enough for you to go you said it yourself make your own mistakes hopefully i've set a boundaries enough so it's not to the extent like they're the what boundaries are too wide that you know don't don't walk off the cliff you know that that, that to that extent like understanding yeah. extremes but you're not going to know the extremes of that if you don't let yourself be open-minded either to see that where those pitfalls might go especially long term yeah. So those were some of the things that came up for me as I heard you do that. And that was, I really appreciate just sharing like, Hey, that's, that's how you connect. Awesome. Awesome. There, I find, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy and I look a certain way. I usually typically look like your all American preppy white boy, you know, a jock and this, that, and the other thing. But I like to talk about love and I like to talk about spirituality. I like to talk about, I talk about anything. So my hope is that as, we start to break down what this can be. Perhaps we can find a practical nature of find, and it could just be through the conversation that you're talking about, the openness. I'm curious. I'm open-minded. I will listen. Yeah. I think that's huge. You can have your own set of beliefs and 
not have to force them on other people or not have to close out other people just because they're not exactly in line. Um, it's very disturbing. Yeah. That cancel culture is very disturbing. Like I've seen friendships that have dissolved over red and blue. It's bananas. And, um, it's one thing I don't, my husband and I talk a lot about politics with each other. That's pretty much it. And I am, see, here's, I think I am free to scroll on by. If I don't, if I don't agree, I'm not going to start a comment war with someone if I don't agree. I just think, oh, that's interesting. Scroll on by. Um, and that's and that's just not with politics. That could be with anything. I'm sure there are people who think, you know, I'm bananas if I if I draw a tarot card every morning and get some kind of inspiration from that, or that's fine too. But I I don't say you're a crazy Catholic. Oh my God, don't talk to me about any of that. You know, um, we have to just chill out a little bit and know that just because you can't see something doesn't mean it isn't there. Wow. That's so, so true. Especially when we think about like bacteria, you can't see it. Yeah. UV rays. You can't see it. The color <laughs> spectrum. You can't see it. It's still there. It's still there. Yes. When you put it in terms like that, there are so many things that we all do believe in that you can't see that are still there regardless so, you know, just people need to just back the F off a little <laughs> of each other. You know what I'm saying? Well, it, it's more mind, less, mind my circle <laughs> bubble. <laughs> well, it really just speaks to giving space and acceptance. They, they really, I guess acceptance is just another way of saying love. Like I see you, I hear you and I allow you to be you. That's okay. Yeah, we can exactly. Yeah. It's... <sighs> I think one of the biggest changes that I've made in these last 18 months is going from a reactive state to, um, I instilled like the 24 hour rule of something really get, gets me riled up instead of reacting right away and saying or doing something that I might regret. But I found those times to be less and less and less because things just don't get under my skin the way that they used to. And I, I definitely attribute that, a lot of that to knowing now that certain foods really did not serve me well. Um, if I eat gluten within 20 minutes, I turn into a raging bitch. So now I know, but I didn't know that before because I ate gluten constantly all day, every day. And I just reacted to everything. And so the, so there are so many things that intertwine and until you get that yarn ball kind of spread out and untangled and the knots out of it, you don't really know where, where it all comes from. And dare I say, we never actually do quote unquote, no, we yeah. can only aim to understand. 
And this was where I think what you brought up now, we brought up food and yeah, of course you're in the health coaching space. And you know, that's a big place where I learned a lot of these fundamental lessons myself. You talk about red, blue. Well, there's two extremes I can bring up right off the rip. There's carnivore diet. And then there's, there's veg veganism, like, and there's the isms in that, the identity that's wrapped into the food I eat and what changed for me and for you, it might be very, you know, said like any gluten for you turns that you get that thing, but that's your individual experience with yeah. that, that you have come to terms with. Somebody else might be able to have a higher dose of it and it doesn't affect them. Somebody can yeah. have dairy, somebody can have meat, somebody can have like whatever. It's not black and white. It's not right and wrong. There is context. There is psychosomatic effects. There is gut bacteria. There is culture. There is external environment. There's psychosocial things going on. There's so many layers that must be considered. And fundamentally, if you live within a rigid construct of things like, oh, it has to be like macros are the way or paleo is the way or veganism is the way or like it's the way it's like, or what happens? And I'd be curious to see how you see this, see this unfold. What happens when as an individual, you no longer fit exactly to that mold, however that might look. And I think about myself particularly, it's like every now and then, like I have to, like I'm half French. I used to go spend a month every year until I was 16 in France. Baguettes are the bomb. I like them. I also happen to like cheese. I like chocolate. I like some of these things. If I have them, am I bad? I legitimately remember like having it and like having a dogmatic battle within my heart and in my soul over putting some food in my face yeah. and saying like, how does it, how does it play out? How much can I have? And am I willing to deal with the consequences for X period of time? Yeah. I'd be curious now to just pivot to that and how you see this application in your own health coaching practice. There, there, I have so many conversations like that, especially when people are getting started in their health journey, um, trying to undo the diet mentality, which I, I think sad as it is, I remember the first time that I verbalized that I thought I was fat, I was eight years old. Wow. And now I'm 48. So that's a, that's a lot of years of diets, thinking you're fat, um, internal critique constantly. Um, but that's sadly, that's majority of our culture is just, and it's such an ox, not oxymoron. I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for, but you know, like we're an obese society. And yet all we do is talk about being thin. And you see how that makes my mind want to just blow right up. <laughs> It's the external validation. We're talking about trying to just change the surface. Yeah. It doesn't like, that's not the thing. Now I like bringing out the word diet actually specifically because it's been bastardized. Yes. Diet comes from the word deus or dias, meaning way of life. Yeah. Not food. Food is a piece of your way of life. So just changing, oh, these are the only the foods I'm going to eat or for the next six weeks, I'm going to do this or nah, 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 nah. like, this is the way to work out. You're just changing the external variables, but not really questioning the whole thing. And at, at first breath, 
that sounds really daunting. I have to change everything. Well, no, yes, but not right away. But not all at once. Nor yeah. should you change it all at once because no. in a good, in good uh, scientific fashion, control for one variable, experiment, see how that works. A conversation around what can you handle? What's the dosage you can handle? You're in a stressful period of your life. What does that look like? How yeah. can you apply? How can you be consistent? Being 1% better every day than you were the day before is really like the mindset that I like to help people adapt. It's not all or nothing. Um, and my, my health coach early on told me, put it in terms that really made so much sense to me. And when I pass it along, it really is a light bulb for so many people. So if you had one fight with your spouse, would you be like, well, shit, we're just not meant to be married. I guess we better get a divorce because we just fought and it must be over. No, but that's what we do every time we try something in this arena, health arena, diet, whatever you want to call it. The term, sadly, diet is the term that most people think of when they're depriving themselves or um, all the negative connotations that come with being on a diet. So you had the Oreo cookie. Well, I guess that means that you, you just th need to throw in the towel and go on a binge. You can't possibly just make the next decision better, right? So it's all, it's all or nothing for so, so, so many people. Or you get one flat tire. Are you going to go around the car and put a knife in the other three and just sit there out of the road with four flat tires? No, you're probably one flat tire and get going back on your journey. <laughs> that single-handedly might have been the best metaphor I've ever heard. I'm going to go put a, a stab the next three tires on my car. Oh, my actual God. That was... Yeah. That was a light bulb moment for me right there. I'm using that and I'm going to credit you, but that was beautiful. That was really well, good. I can't take credit for it, but it is a good one. It's a really good visual. You would think somebody was just plain stupid if they did that. And yet that's essentially what people do when they think they've made a mistake on their health journey. So really, yes, I do help people lose weight because there is there's a lot of validity to being in your best body that, that, that other metaphor that, you know, when the tide comes in, it raises all ships. Well, when you're feeling physically better because you have less joint pain and you have all the myriad of benefits that come from being at a more optimal weight. Now, I am not saying that people can't be um, happy in a body that is whatever it is. So I don't ever want to be misconstrued as somebody who thinks that everyone has to be thin. I am simply saying from my own personal experience and the experiences that I'm having with people that I coach that the tide in this scenario happens to be 
losing weight and feeling better in the body and all the other things, work starts going better. Relationships start getting stronger and more meaningful. Um, People want to start moving their body instead of Netflix binging. Like these things start to happen naturally when our bodies feel better and are working more optimally. It just is the truth. And I can't, I can't apologize for it because it just, it is just the truth. So once again, what, what were you asking me? (laughs) I don't know. Well, you answered a lot of things in there of just like your perspective on it. And it's taking this holistic approach and especially in the way we've talked about this on off crash cycle. You know, yeah. I don't know if a lot of people, especially, you know, you're talking, your prom- your primary demo is probably what women and their like moms and thirties, forties, fifties. Yeah, moms. exactly. Yeah. But, you know, for anybody who's listening, who's in that age range, who's gone probably who's still struggling with it. And I would go out on a limb and say, eight to 12 years old is not an uncommon time for somebody to go. I don't like how I look, whatever. One of those words that you just said, one of those kind of weight, like the essence of what you said about yourself, the average, this is, I don't know if you knew this, the average amount of times a woman, the average woman goes on a diet every year. The external construct of what a diet is is six times a year. That cycle turns over every two months or like that's a lot of stop start. That's a lot of times you just went as a, decided to go puncture all the rest of your tires. That's yeah. a lot of time you decided to just go get a divorce because you had one fight. That's a lot of freaking energy. That's a lot of like, that's a lot of, that's a lot of wasted energy as opposed to saying, let's have a slower, meaningful conversation and then not divorce ourselves from success six times a year. Just exactly. That's Marry really- the process, divorce the outcome. Ooh. That's going to be title of this episode, by the way. Marry the marry the process, divorce the outcome. That might become part of a slogan around here. Um, yeah, it's a good one. It's really, really good, and I think that that speaks a lot to many venues in life. And I really appreciate that 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 insight. Um, I only got one more question for you today, and we brought it up a little bit earlier. You even brought the you brought the terms up. Beth, what is your purpose? Oh, my purpose. The first word that comes to mind is hope. So I know when you and I first talked, I shared about depression in my life and how it's played a big role since I'm sure it was before my twenties, but that's when I was diagnosed with clinical depression. And um, once again, for the listeners, if you don't know, clinical depression is the type that can come on even when everything in life is amazing. All systems are go, things are going great, and unbidden and unwelcome, in comes a dark cloud. Whereas situational depression can be experienced by anyone um, and usually comes on, you know, with the death of someone special or losing a job or any kind of situation that might be really difficult to handle. So I have clinical depression and, um, it's a thing in my family and it's, um, it sucks. It really sucks. And yet, uh, every time I have to go through it, I know that I'm going to come out on the other side. 
And that wasn't always the case. And I think the more times that I overcome and stand back up and share about it, the more hope I can offer. And that has now bled over into me walking out my health journey. Um, I was obese and I used food and alcohol to manage my emotions. And that was not the way it exacerbated depression, I'm sure. And yet, even though I'm now at a healthy weight and so many things have, have risen with my tide, I still experience depression. And so being outspoken about it and not embarrassed because our, our culture still doesn't really accept mental illness as a thing. Like I look fine on the outside. I can plaster a smile on my face and nobody would know unless I open my mouth and, and tell the truth. And so I think my purpose is to offer hope for people who feel hopeless. And that could be in the arena of mental health. Now I don't offer and don't know how to coach people through mental health. All I know is what has worked for me and continue. I continue to try to uh, gather more coping mechanisms as I go and just let people know they're not alone or whether I can offer hope through all the stories that I share in social media about my health journey and how it has made all areas of my life become better. Because I know when I share, people see a mirror for themselves. And like we talked about in the beginning, this makes a nice, a nice loop. It's really hard to look at yourself in the mirror sometimes logically or literally and figuratively. It's real hard to look at the things you don't want to see, but you're not alone. There are other people doing the same thing and other people who can offer to shine the flashlight on the path that they're just maybe one or two steps ahead of you on and be like, Hey, come on, come with me. I got you. That really touched my heart. And uh, that actual quote, marry the process, divorce the outcome. I'm going to be sharing that with somebody who's near and dear to me today, who's going through an interesting time. Um, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate this, this, the hope within all of that. And um, it sounds what you're doing, like what you're doing is really lovely. And the people that you're helping, what I heard in that is like, you don't have to be alone. You're going to have to go through it. You can either choose to be lonely or you can do it with support. And in my experience, when you're not alone, where you can do a lot more than you think you're capable of. And, uh, and the process actually becomes far more enjoyable. Beth, Being vulnerable with other people is hard, but it is always worth it. It is. It is. Beth, AKA Bestie, I'm so grateful for having you on today. If somebody's listening to this and they're like, wow, she's speaking to my soul and I need some of that love in my life. I need some of that hope. How can I get a bestie like you? How do they best get in contact with you? And yeah, I'm pushing that narrative. I think that should be your brand full and full on. 
That's the best damn yes. thing I've ever heard. It is. It's good. Yes. Yeah. So um, the platform that I use most often is, is Facebook currently. And I can be found at Bestie VT. So that's not your typical spelling of Bestie. It's my name, Beth Estee, just B-S-T-E-S-T-E-Y-V-T because I live in Vermont. So you can find me there. I also do a live cooking show every week with a healthy menu item that's easy and uncomplicated and fast because I always thought that cooking healthy had to be complicated and make a mess in my kitchen. And it was always easier to throw pizza in the oven. So I'm out there spreading good recipes and, um, anyone can message me right through Facebook or you can just stalk my page and read things that I've posted. And I don't care you, I'm all out there. It's all to the public. Anybody can, can see what's happening in, in the land of bestie. (laughs) Oh, There's more. It just keeps building. Oh, we're going to talk more about this. <laughs> Beth, I'm super, super grateful for you. And for anybody who's listening, don't worry. I'm going to put all those, uh, I'll put that, the contact information in the show notes or let me better, better yet, my, uh, my new partner in crime who's like helping basically mom me, my Vicky. Shout out to you, Vicky, if you're listening. Because um, I know you are. Yeah, she's, she's keeps me so organized. Thank you. Um, we're going to make sure that that's available so you know how to best best find your new bestie and all those things. Uh, Beth, anything else you'd like to leave us with, with our listeners with right now? Well, it's just been awesome talking to you today. Really think that there's always a reason that we come in contact with the people that we come in contact with. And um, I know exactly why we made a connection and I'm super grateful. So thank you. Why is that? Because I, I need to continue to get uncomfortable in sharing and this was uncomfortable and yet you, you, not because you made it uncomfortable because it's just doing something new and I love your energy and I just appreciate your thoughtfulness. You're about to get me emotional before we sign off. My goodness. <laughs> Thank you. That's um, what people don't know. And what I know, I'm 100% certain you do a wonderful job of with people. And this coaching is all about just first, it's just creating a safe space and holding space. Most people don't think about that, but I think about a host. I think about a mom energy. Welcome into my home. Come yeah. into my home and let your guard down. Be your real self. Be vulnerable with me. And I've just found that it, you know, in my life and endeavoring to help people. Uh, it's a real honor to be able to watch other people just blossom into that. And I, I, you didn't, I didn't even know you felt uncomfortable. That's wow. So I really appreciate that. That was, that really means a lot to me. And, and thank you so much for what you're doing. And, uh, and everybody listening, I'm telling all of you, if you do not know levels of coaching that I'm, I'm explicitly telling people like, there's levels to this thing. Yeah. And you get it. So if somebody's looking for that safe space to really make long-term change, these are the things and signs and symptoms to be listening for, because this is what produces that outcome. So thank you so yes, much. Yes, I am this. not, I am not the food police. <laughs> Don't worry. 
<laughs> I didn't come up at all. No, thank you. No, but I, some people, I think when they get that word coach in their mind for whatever type of coaching, they think it's somebody is going to tell them, do this, do that, like crack the whip. And you're right. That's not the level of coaching that either of us work with. This is, this is safe space. This is, um, this is much deeper and and not not a place of shame, a place of, of hope. Hope and love. Those right. are the two things that'll change the world right there. So Beth, thank you. We're besties. Thank now. you. Thank you <laughs> we here. are besties for we sure. <laughs> Guys, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And uh, until next time, much love.